0: welcome you're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers we're taking a journey deep inside the human brain past the surface clutter and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question what makes people buy I'm your host Kevin Rogers along with the most ripped-off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton. And this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Hi, welcome to Psych Insights. It's Kevin Rogers here with my co-host, John Carlton. How are you doing, John? Really good, Kevin. Good to be here for another episode. You know, people um, are annoyed that we don't do more of these shows. (laughs) Screw them. (laughs) (laughs) What what people need to understand is we have one guiding principle for this podcast, unlike others with very um, calculated agendas. Ours is it can never suck yeah <laughs> if, if it ever sucks for us to do this it'll cease to exist so if we ever just fade off into the sunset and you go whatever happened to that podcast that was pretty good <laughs> it started to suck for some for some reason we couldn't control and it just went away so but yeah. we, we do love doing it and that's why we reserve it for when we you know John and I, uh, I I'm unduly privileged to have John as a as a friend and mentor and very often we'll get into a conversation uh that you Know, has a lot of life and it takes on a life of its own and starts to show up in other areas of, of other conversations. And we know that that's probably a good topic for the show. And so that is now the case with uh, something John and I have been watching unfold in real time in circles. We work in and we have talked a lot about this, John, in dealing with, with clients and even friends and friends of clients. And right. that is the simple concept that everybody in business needs to learn over and over and over again. Uh, and that is no good deed goes unpunished, and it's on the surface a cynical uh, a view. Yeah. But the interesting aspect of it that that we're going to explore here today is that it doesn't mean you stop doing the good things. Yes, and and we're going to talk about why that is. And I'll I'll hand it over to you with that.
1: Well, I it kind of coalesced in my mind when I, I noticed that it ran. Uh, alongside a common Hollywood plot line, which is usually in a war movie, but it doesn't have to be in a war movie but it's there's a, a bunch of soldiers out under danger or under some some kind of traumatic stress and their leader, their their lieutenant is usually a fresh-faced kid you know he's younger than them and less experienced and they sit around they bitch around uh, they bitch about the lieutenant And part of their bonding is being able to bitch about it. And then the plot line is the lieutenant gets shot, killed or taken away or whatever. And one of the privates now has to step up and be the guy to actually say, we're going over the wall or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Because somebody has to fill that role. And whoever does that then has this sudden realization that he's no longer one of the guys. He can't sit around and bitch anymore about this. He's the guy they're going to be bitching about. <laughs> and it's, it's uh, you know, it, Hollywood doesn't take it very far. But, you know, most people do not raise their hands to take over a project. They do not volunteer to lead. They do not initiate projects on their own. They don't become the engine or catalyst for some project to get going. And they usually count on either somebody is kind of almost designated by genetics to be that person that takes it over. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Kevin, but in high school, I I went to the same high school, to high school with the same group of kids I'd gone through kindergarten with. So there's a certain core and within that core of kids, there was the guy who was the freshman class president, the junior class president, the ASB president, Mm -hmm. you know, the the head of key key club, the quarterback of the football team, you know, all of that. And he was a friend of mine. He's he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. But he just, you know, he took took that role. We expected him to do it. It was like, you know, yeah, somebody's got to be president of the class. And we just all looked at him. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. Of course I'll do it. And, he, and if we didn't ask him, he would have ran for it anyway. So, um, you know, there's those natural guys, but then there are other people kind of in the middle. And if you're in business, you know, anybody that gets into entrepreneurship or starting your own business or starting your own freelance career or something, th- that's something you sometimes don't think about is you're about to take on a role of responsibility. And that's where this no good deed thing comes 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 into play um the The thing that Kevin was alluding to that just happened we we don't need to get into the details, but it was a bunch of people running around going nowhere. It was like a uh, it was like a fire drill. It was like yeah. everybody's running around in a circle, running into walls and falling over, and nobody could get anything done. <laughs> Kevin volunteered to host something and you know be the guy who would then. Uh, you know, he he was going to do a good deed. He was going to offer to use his um, his go to meeting and and host the call and and be the guy who was kind of the, you know, I'll I'll take care of this in in the parlance of our gang for the older guys. He was spanky. He said, come on, kids, let's put on a show, you know, Mm -hmm. and what immediately happens after that, which he is. You have to remember, he's getting nothing out of this. He's not getting rewards. He's not. And once you understand the no good deed goes unpunished thing is, is not only is he not going to get any rewards, thanks, love or favors back, but he's, he's going to get blamed. He's going to be a target for inchoate rage that people carry around with them of leaders. And he's going to have a lot of irrational demands and an incoherent list of expectations of what else he will do. All of this is part and parcel of raising your hand and volunteering, yeah. you know, to to take responsibility for something. And it's funny, this particular thing we were talking about actually fell apart because the irrational inchoate demands and expectations just got out of control. And it was kind of funny. I think a lot of people were shamed and and had to do a little inward looking. But, it, it, you know, me and uh, Kevin and I were just laughing about it. It was like it was like, yes, this of course it was, you know, there's probably a 50 50 chance once anybody decides to do a good deed that it's going to not just screw up, but become a negative experience for people. And the other 50 percent is that maybe it'll go okay. But again, don't expect any any credit. Don't expect favors. Don't expect rewards. Don't even expect thanks. If you raise your hand and you do a good deed, you better be really clear on this, especially in business and and dealing with other human beings. You're doing it for reasons of your own. And that's something else we were going to get into in this call. We – uh, when when Kevin and I were making notes with this call, the notes came really fast and heavy. It was just, we understand this. Mm-hmm. And of course, one of the things is, you know, we, we talked about it, once you realize that there are, there are certain right things that need to be done. And guess what? You're the guy who actually has the skill set or the experience or just the the intestinal fortitude to be able to do it. It's just if you know cPR and you 're standing around a wreck oh, yeah. on on the side of the road, then you 're going to be the guy that gives cPR you know if you don't want to be that guy, you should think about that before you learn cPR for example, and you know that metaphor works in business if you're you know and 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 just in leading if you don't ever want to lead don't ever get in those in, in, in the position to lead, but you will spend more time actively avoiding doing that which just cries out for for you or somebody like you to stand up and say, "Okay, I'll do it. I'll I'll take control of this. I'll take responsibility. I will handle this. I'll get it done." Yeah. Those people are very, very rare, but that's almost the definition of a professional, especially a yeah. in the freelance world. The you know the, the professional's code, you know, you you are where you said you'd be, when you said you'd be there having done what you said you'd do that alone seems so simple and yet that that cleaves 90% of the of the population yeah. out of the equation they're not going to be able to do it they're not going to be able to pull it off for some reason and if you find in in life and in business that you are a guy who can get things done it's almost incumbent upon you to do this. If you want to do the right thing, you will find yourself stepping up more and more to the plate to volunteer for things of which, again, there is no reward, no mm-hmm. positive things will happen. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, you do it because it's the right thing to do, not because you think you're going to be a hero or going to get thanks or right. going to get any kind of goodies out of it. Well, it's the Lone Ranger thing, isn't it? You know? I, I, oh, exactly. I've had or an observ- more, more like Spider-Man,
0: probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've had an observation about heroes and this occurred to me for some reason reason uh because it's it's such a standard in hero uh, making as the screenwriters say but it really struck me in the series ray donovan have you watched that one john
1: i've, I've watched a few I'm, I'm interested in it but i i I'm, I'm weak on the concept so so
0: well he's just he's sort of a fixer right Right. If you saw Michael Clayton, he's a similar guy um, and he's he's kind of mobbed up and he's got all these personal issues. But he, he goes out and he fixes um, bad things for rich people. And the thing about the guy that really strikes me, brilliant, um, brilliantly acted by Lee Schiebner. Well, I can't say his name right, but um, the, this he's the way he they make him a hero is that he never complains right and that and and he never s- sticks around for any kind of thanks or or anything like that, so you know you know as the viewer what he's dealing with and how. It, critical it is in life or death some some business thing he's dealing with and then his wife is you know tossing his clothes out the off the balcony because <laughs> because he was late for he missed the you know the yoga appointment they were going to go to together or something and, right. and you, you know but he doesn't can't tell her that and he's not going to bitch and go you don't understand but you know that's what humans do that's what real people do is they they come home and they usually you know it's like pulling the chain on a lawnmower I just start bitching. Okay. This happened today, and that happened today, and it's you know hard to those. those that's not leadership, right? And right. so there's like this. It's the Lone Ranger thing. You ever hear the Lenny Bruce bit about uh, Lone Ranger? You know. Uh, yes, you're, I, you're,
1: I, I, I yeah, I'm laughing just thinking about it. <laughs>
0: And, uh, yeah. Thanks, man. Right. Yeah. It is. Like, you know, I, I if I, you know, stuck around and took thanks from you, then I would take thanks from everybody and I'd never be out <laughs> rescuing people. It is, it, But, you know, it's it's true through comedy once again. And it makes you realize, yeah, the, the hero has to write off because he knew he knows the score. He didn't do it for thanks. He didn't do it for praise. And it's sort of the same thing about. Any good deed or, or volunteering or, um, you know. It, uh, leadership role. Leadership there. role. And that's why in the Facebook era, and I'm going a little bit down a side road here, but I think it's interesting. This is what's so annoying in some respects about this whole social media era we live in is that people can't wait. To go post the littlest thing they did for another human, you know, and um, it 's such a, a desperate plea, and you know the whole t- the fact that the term humble brag is <laughs> Is now in the nomenclature you know right, right. Um, it, it's just a really bizarre thing but it, it as all social media does all it does is sort of magnify the way we really are anyway um, and so um, like you said John expectation that's the word you, you I think leaders rise just because for whatever reason their their hormonal makeup um, elects them to be the kind of person who quickly in their career as a leader realizes, hmm, there's really no thanks in this, but I know it feels good to me anyway. And you can- Well,
1: some, some you know, I, I have to jump in. It doesn't always feel good. I mean, and, and actually this kind of segues into the other thing. I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish your thought, but that segues in. It doesn't need to feel good. Again, even to yourself, the reasons you do it, if you get right down to it, if you do things because it's the right thing to do, sometimes you're not going to feel good about yourself either as- the Lone Ranger or Spider Man. Sometimes, you know, Spider Man famously would just beat himself up. He was losing his girlfriend. He couldn't keep his job. People hated Spidey because they never understood. You know, they, he had a, uh, a a newspaper guy with a hard-on for him who kept, you know, making him the bad guy. Right. I mean, the real Stanley story about that is this guy. Mm-hmm. If 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 people know, not not the movie version, but the real version of, of Spider Man, he never got not only did he, he never got credit, but he got thrashed for all the time and he was constantly in danger and had to live with this secret he couldn't share with anybody
0: hmm. right yeah that's the that's the that's the thing and um yeah so uh, you know to, that obviously comes from something either stanley had that or observed that in people right. and um it, when i say i guess it feels good anyway um, I think there's there's a juice that comes along with being a guy who can pull strings behind the scene uh, and see it unfold knowing there's no credit to be had, uh, but just enjoying silently that it, it, it came together.
1: I I think you're on to something there, Kevin, but there's a, a second side to that. There is a sense, I, I I think when you become a high-end professional or a really really competent in business or or we sometimes call them the go-to guys. You know, Mm -hmm. the the go-to guys are the guys that you go to because they can keep a secret, Right. they can they can be trusted to do the right thing. you may not like what they do but th- but eventually you'll know that it was the right thing to do and if watching your back is part of why you went to them, they'll watch your back now, as far as taking a bullet for you, you know that's that's a little that's a little over, over the edge yeah. but uh, you know I've got guys who you know I firmly believe would take a bullet for me. I don't know why they do it, but in in their internal sense of justice and rightness, they, you know, they will actually put themselves into danger. And I've I've done this numerous times for for people. I know I put myself into danger to save them, even when they were butt ass wrong. You know, I've I've stepped in between so many bar fights where saving my friend who was in the wrong. So I was going to take the punch. I'm lucky I'm, you know, that 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 I got out of that stuff. But it's like, you know, it's like, well, real fast, you know, real fast. The right thing to do here is save my buddy. You know, and there's probably some selfishness in there and stuff, but I'm not going to get thanked by him because he's he wanted to continue the argument. All All I'm doing is just, you know, doing what I think is the right thing at that time. And it was very clear to me that (laughs) letting him get his head knocked in, it was not going to be a good thing.
0: Yeah. Instead, you got to hear him. The rest of the night go. I wish you to let me hit that. Yeah, I could have handled that.
1: Yeah. yeah, you could. Sure, you could have. One more beer and you'd get twice your size. So. But the but but the interesting thing that you're talking about about you know th- that thing of keeping a secret. One of the things of a go to guy of a guy that you can trust of a guy who is the guy who's going to step up and lead things is they do keep secrets. I, I remember Halbert telling me. You know, I, I said. I said, Howard, you must be just a font of secrets that you're going to take to the grave. And, and he'd shake his head. He, he, we had this conversation several times. He says, You have no idea what I'm carrying around. Because he was notorious for not being able to keep a secret. And I knew that somewhere along the line, he, he would make judgment calls. And sometimes he, he wouldn't keep a secret, but it never hurt anybody. And it was, it was more of that third grade recess stuff that, right. he, you know, it was gossip stuff he might not be very good at keeping. But the hardcore stuff, Yes, he took a lot of stuff with him when he, mm. when, he, when he left us. And that's the sign of a guy who understands the difference between what's important and what's not. Yeah. Now, now, as you go through this thing of being able to keep a secret and being able to keep your own counsel and being that rock at Gibraltar that's going to do that, you know, the, the downside is that, you know, you still, you're still a human being. You're going to have self-doubt. You're going you're gonna to hate yourself. Right. Uh, you, you may die young because you're taking on so much stress. In, in the Middle Ages, they had a thing called a stress eater. Did Did you know this? No. Actually, it was it came from a sin eater idea. You could pay a guy to come over and and there'd be a little ritual, and he would eat your sins so he'd go to hell while you got to go and sin some more and and uh, you know kind of buy your way into eternity. The the stress eaters that we know today are kind of like that. They they. They'll take on part of your job. They'll volunteer to work, you know, even though it's going to be a 16 hour day for them, you know, this, this kind of stuff. So these people are good to know, but they, they tend to take on a little too much. The reason I bring this up is that being able to keep a secret only goes so far at a certain point to be able to survive and thrive Mm -hmm. as a go-to guy who is able to raise his hand, do the right thing and be that guy who will do good deeds, even knowing that he will be punished for having done the good deed, is that the safety valve Is having a network, whether it's one person or a dozen people or whatever. But if you have those colleagues around you who understand what you're going through, who who have either been through it themselves or or understand it at a level that, for for guys like us, we like to laugh about it. We have I have a small number of people, Kevin and a few other people. I was we were talking about Garf. Uh, I would you know Halbert was certainly that guy for me for a long time. Where we just laugh, we howl in laughter, and the bigger the horror story, <laughs> the better, the the more we laugh. It's like, can you believe I volunteered to do this for this guy and this this and the other guy's laughing and 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 and, and, and all the all the stress and all the pressure goes away. Yeah, and it's why if you don't have that, yeah, you're asking for it. You're you know you're 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 asking for a lot more stress than you should have. The the guys who are lucky are the ones who can find people who understand what needs to be done and are able to laugh about it. The, the really good go-to guys have a huge sense of humor, people who understand it and will share it. And a lot of that humor, if it ever got out, yeah, there isn't a jury in the world who wouldn't convict you of everything, <laughs> including stuff that happened before you were alive, because of what you find funny. But it's, yeah. it's um, MASH-style humor. It's, uh, it's the, the MASH hospitals, you know, the right. uh, uh, military houses. They have to laugh because otherwise you're going to cry so that's, that's it that's just a little piece of insight so
0: yeah no that's the truth uh you know um rescue workers that kind of thing it's it's sort of this you know uh silent heroism that it, it,
1: it just is that's just is how you are and uh it's 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 why cops you know your your uncle the cop yeah. they had their own bars they had to go to that's right Yeah, because he wanted to drink and laugh with other cops who understood who weren't going to say, wait a minute, you're laughing about the guy you just shot. You know well, that they probably didn't laugh about that. But, you know, it's like other people don't get it. They don't understand. And it's the same thing as that private keep being kicked up to leading the platoon. Right. Um, You um, know, now he understands what the poor lieutenant was going through before he got shot, but he can't communicate that to his other guys because there's just this lack of experience. Until you experience it, you're just not going to know. That's why we have to learn the no good deed thing goes unpunished. The first time you learn it, it's a shock. Yeah. The second time you learn it, it's like, why does this keep happening? The third time you learn it, it's like, oh, I get it, you know. And then you understand, yes, I will be punished for doing this good deed. However, I'm going to do it anyway because I now know how to negotiate the landscape of human behavior where being the guy who saves their ass by stepping up and taking control and taking responsibility and getting things done, I am now going to be the target for their inchoate rage and their need to complain. And I am going to be the subject of the, of the gossip here rather than the guy, you know, partaking in, in the gossip. That's right. Yep,
0: yeah, exactly right. And then you talked, John, about sort of being, you know, having the ability to navigate the damage. Right. You know, what once once the damage is done and, you know, the other aspect of it is patience. Yeah. Oh, my God. Sometimes, you know, Ah, let's just let this evolve full circle because it typically does come back around. Um, You know, you talked early on about being the kind of person who steps up. But a lot of times I think we're talking even before the call about um, people who just. Um, well, you're talking about your, at the beginning, uh, the guy who was class president and all that stuff. Right, um, right, right, You know, he, yeah, he would have raised his hand and volunteered, but everybody's head turned to him immediately when it came up.
1: The expectation. Yes.
0: Yeah, because he just wore that thing of, give it to me. I, I'll handle this. I'll get it done. Right. Uh, it, 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 I don't think that can be manufactured. You notice the people who try the hardest sometimes never get the breaks right and sometimes you go uh why, why is it we don't just let this guy do it like he's really eager to for a chance and you go i don't know i don't trust the guy
1: well you know uh interestingly enough this guy you know and, and i've known guys throughout life even guys i met in college and guys i met in business stuff who who there's kind of like two levels to it one of the guys that seek positions of authority yeah and I don't want to trash them because a lot of them are good guys, but they seek it. They're comfortable with it, but they also like it. Right. And the better leaders are often what – was it Socrates or Aristotle called the reluctant leader? Right. Um, I think it was Aristotle. And he said the best democracies are going to have reluctant leaders. Not the – anybody who wants the job of leading the, the, the town shouldn't have that job. The guy who should have it is the guy. And what he was describing was we should keep plucking privates out of the trenches and making them run the thing. Right. And uh, actually, that's how Germans run their uh, their shops, their um, like VW and BMW and, and all those places. Uh, they do rotating leadership roles so that everybody gets a taste of it. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets an idea to know what it's like to work at a desk, to right. work on the floor, to work in the, to be the head of a thing and stuff. I, I don't personally know, we don't do that in America. It's just, you know, we, it's, it's either people volunteer or whatever. But you know, that, that, that patience thing, Kevin, you know, I was not a patient guy growing up up, and I'm pretty sure you weren't either, but you as a parent had to learn patience. And, you know, the the joke among men is what kids do to their father's and the father has to put the father would never put up with that from another adult or another. And yet you not only put up with it, but it becomes endearing to you. You know the, yeah. um, You know Frank Kern just talked about his daughters every morning would jump in bed and land right on his on his balls. You know it's just it, they didn't mean to. It's just they daddy daddy and they jump up and he and it was physical pain as well yeah. as being rudely woken up out of the out of a deep sleep. And it was just you know it was a funny story, but right. There's also, you know, those of us who have had to manufacture patience, you know, for me, it came from a Zen sense of watching leaders lead and starting to figure it out because I was not a natural leader, although I was kind of a stealth leader. Uh, kids look to me to come up with the ideas of what to do. Hey, let's all walk down the tracks and go, you know, go break stuff at at, at the dump. And then they go, okay, we're going to go walk down the tracks and break stuff at the dump. <laughs> but they didn't say because John said so. They just always looked to me, and I didn't even realize I was coming up with those ideas. So I was kind of a stealth leader, but I never wanted to be the guy that was the first in or, or necessarily. It's just, it's just if nobody else was going to come up with an idea, I'd come up with it. Right. <clears throat> so. Later, I started thinking, why don't I apply that in a more positive way? And that's how my career started going. I started actually taking on more and more responsibility. And the patience that I had to learn was from a Zen sense of shining it on. It's like it's like immediately, and this was hard to do. I it, Whatever transgression that happened against me, whether it was an insult, a, a, a accidental you know, ruining a project or just sheer incompetence or whatever, I had to go through a quick one-two checklist. Is this worth bringing up, arguing about and making a big deal about? Or if I shine it on, can we move on without further problems here? And I found that 90% of the time shining it on and just moving along Mm -hmm. and, and forgetting that transgression or whatever was the way to go. And most people can't operate that. I still find myself with Little grudges from, you know, forty years ago, the people are dead and gone, but mm. I still have a little grudge about what happened in class that day, you know, when they showed me up or whatever. Mm. And I just laugh. I, I say that's that's the human nature that I'm finding fighting against with this kind of Zen shine on attitude. And that's where you're able to, in in a kind of a funny, gruesome way, Say, yeah, I'll take it. I'll, I'll do the job and, and I'll, I'll lead and I'll do this, knowing that it's going to be sheer hail from from here on out that, you know, that I'm going to have irrational rage directed against me. I'm going to be blamed for anything that comes up and not rewarded for anything good that happens and, and things like that. And it's just you get into a groove. It's like, yeah, OK, that this now is part of the job description of who you are as a highly competent, highly evolved entrepreneur slash parent slash, you know, the, the friends you can count on. Right. You know, that reminds me of another topic
0: we may have covered on the show before, but always fascinates me. You have a great take on negative
1: motivation. Mm. And I was just talking about that with Garfinkel yesterday.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, you know, you, you kind of brought that up in a, in a side door way there about having to sort of eat this rage and, um, You know, but it's not the same kind that you can probably use as motivation. That's usually more of a jealousy or feeling slighted. Like this is almost more of an, something. You know, you,
1: you're you're on to something, Kevin, but I think what the answer is, when, when we talk about uh, uh, negative motivation, for me, it was about, my whole career was about showing up that first copywriter who refused to share anything with me because she said, it's too hard and I'll never figure it out. Right. So, in the back of my mind, every time I came up against a problem, I thought, I'll show her. I didn't even remember her name mm-hmm. and I never met her again and there was never going to be that moment of ha 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 i made it and you said i wouldn't it didn't matter i all i had to do was tap into that little emotional thing going on there um so yeah go ahead what, what did you say how did that thought okay so that's negative motivation oh then however when we're talking about this no good deed thing goes unpunished what's interesting to me is that thing of the best horror story wins. If I have a moment in the future where I'm going to sit down, I'm going to call Kevin or Garth or maybe I'm going to sit down at a bar with a couple couple old colleagues like Mongo or somebody, I'm going to have a good story. And sometimes it's not like I'm urging on the horrible stuff to happen, but I'm paying really close attention to what's going on. I'm going to learn that lesson and I'm looking for the punchline of the story too because there is going to be one. This story is going to end. This project, this this situation, whatever's going on that I've gotten myself into because I'm trying to do somebody a favor. And of course, it's going sideways and stuff. Uh, this then goes into the no good deed goes unpunished story where somebody brings it up and I get to say, oh, wait until I tell you what just happened to me. Uh-huh. And that is that kind of Th- that is enough for me to hang in there yeah. and really feel good about it and and even enjoy the horror as it comes because i know <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna trump your story of the flat tire and the and the guy not fixing it right you know from triple a yeah. yeah that's the trophy is, is the best story <laughs> that's true that that's it so that's why that, that's why that having the colleagues having being able to laugh about this with yourself is one thing right but that gets old really quick having somebody else you can talk to who you trust who's not going to who's going to keep the secrets that need to be kept but also just totally understand where you're coming from so i don't have to explain to you what it's like to do a good deed and have it right. have it thrown back in your face you understand viscerally what that's about and there's a lot of humor to be had there and that and humor is like a release Val, I can feel my stress going away when I'm laughing with old friends, especially about specific subjects. It's like the body knows to take that stress. I I used to store a lot of stress in my left shoulder. I don't I don't know if you know this. There's one of the reasons I discovered chiropractic and massage. I used to carry my left shoulder up so tight that it almost touched my ear. Mm. And you look at pictures of me in my twenties, and and my shoulder is up there. And I didn't understand until I got into body work that a lot of people will choose unconsciously choose a body part that they will store their 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 t- uh, tenseness and stress in lower back shoulders headaches like like brain uh sometimes it's it's and and you start it actually starts to physically affecting you and once i found that i started i did rolfing and stuff to bring the shoulder down it took me years to be able to do that and it there was a lot of emotional release there was actual physical stress and stress is not a physical thing stress is this concept that humans have that describes the All of these things that happen that cause chemical dumps inside of us and there's emotional and physical attributes to it. But stress isn't something that floats around and and sneaks in through your ear or your eyeball or something. (laughs) It's this concept that comes in and yet it has physical manifestations. Mm -hmm. And once you understand that, then you understand that laughing about stuff especially laughing about the specific situation that you're talking about will release the stress that you've been holding on from that particular thing so that's why being specific talking about that having somebody that will listen and understand about that particular thing is the prescription for keeping the not just keeping the stress low but but having that release valve for any residual stress that's still hanging around very important to have that yeah that's great you know my wife was a rolfer Oh, really? We well, about that. But. Tell her that I did it in 1973. Wow. Back when it was still painful. There were 10 sessions of screaming. Oh, <laughs> I think, I, I don't know
0: that that's changed. Yeah, um, she, I was one of her, she did no, it, it, it for has, me. It's, and, and, it's very gentle. Oh, really? Jeez. Yeah. It, it killed me. I was her worst patient ever.
1: Oh, my but God. It's a,
0: but she would, she would talk about the stories of people breaking down. Yes. And she knew, she got to know when she was about to hit that point or uh, she knew it was coming in the next session because she could see how they were hanging their body and she would warn them you know this could get this could get raw this one yeah. and sure enough you know grown men would sob yeah. <laughs> on the table uh so it's very true and it's amazing we don't realize that that these little especially as we get older we know why do i have this weird pain in my hip
1: what the hell is that about and that's that's the time I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to her i've, I've never been able to talk with, with a somebody who actually did rolfing uh, very much but you know there's that there's that storyline of women are better at having other women friends where they will bitch and moan and gripe yeah. and and everything and and that's their you know their bitch sessions and men usually don't have that even when they go out for a beer unless they're cops or professionals and they know how they know the value of that right guys still keep it in guys can go out bowling and drinking with the guys and still not get down to how pissed off they are at ex the guy at work yeah. you know the wife the kids or whatever and they won't talk about that stuff they'll they'll do anything but do that so they don't get that full pressure release thing going on right so for men especially to have that you know that some kind of release valve thing if you don't have it you know i've i've counseled so many copywriters freelance copywriters and i know i know precisely what goes on before burnout with writers and one of the things i counsel them is that I've counseled several young writers. I said, you are headed for burnout. It could happen very soon. Stop what you're doing. They're taking on too many clients. They're And they're cocky about it. It's like, nah, I can handle it. I I, I can do this. You know, How hard is it to write another piece this weekend while I'm also blah, doing this and that? And I said, here's what's going on. You're going to fry. One day, you're going to stare at the blank page and you're going to say, my brain is broken and your marriage is going to go on the rocks yeah. and your health is going to start failing. And dude, they may happen all three at once or it may happen. Slowly, And you may not even realize it till you're deep in it, but this is where you're going. And the guy who took advice from me for months, you know, for months and months, because all my advice was good, suddenly said, nah, I don't like that advice. I'm not going to listen to it. Time after time after time that happens Mm. until they burn out and they come back to me later and say, God, I wish I'd listened to you. Well, what the? Yeah, but then again, that's that's you know that's you know I didn't frame it right. I guess I, I'm still learning how. Well, to frame I'll,
0: it. I'll tell you the I'll tell you the the one line that you got me with, with the, the burnout warning is there's no guarantee you'll come back from it. Mm. That's the one that woke me up. Right? Because yeah. that, that is one thing I'd never thought of. You just think, again, you wear men in particular want to wear burnout as a badge, just yeah. like women like to wear being supermom as a badge, not <clears throat> so taking true. care of themselves. And uh, it, 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 hey, when you start to think, hey, guess what? What if it's permanent? <laughs> what if Don't you're just that weird me. guy walking down the sidewalk who's grimy? And uh, what happened to that guy? He burned yeah. out, man.
1: Uh, well you know not to not to not to put le- less of an emphasis on the the PTSD that guys who have done tours of duty yeah. you know suffer that's that's really serious stuff but to a much lower level writers do experience post-traumatic stress disorder because there's a lot of stuff that happens that you can't describe that people have never been in the trenches during a launch or during the heavy parts of business. And it's hard, hard for somebody on the outside to understand. But I think most people listening to this call are either entrepreneurs or writers or or at least have sampled that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no, you're not. You're not imagining it. There is real trauma on your organs: your liver, your kidneys, your heart, your brain. These are all experiencing assaults that are physical, emotional, and spiritual in nature. And and you know the hormone dumps are real things. You know, um, adrenaline does horrible things to you. Uh, you know, too much of any of, of the uh, hormone dumps, you know, are not not a good thing. And when you lose control of that then you know that's usually the first sign for a guy that he's uh that that he's growing up because he realizes wow i don't have control over every aspect of what's happening here that usually doesn't happen until you're out of your 20s unfortunately because you know you 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 realize wait i'm not invulnerable i'm not going to live forever i can't do everything and survive and have a a stiff you know shot of whiskey and get back into the ring Eh." i'm not john wayne every day You you know it
0: makes me wonder um as you were telling me that, I was thinking, I wonder why certain people love horror movies and, and other people just can't take it. I, th-
1: I think it's the release valve. You know, it's funny you bring that up and we're way off topic here, yeah. but I have had several female relatives, including my mother, um, right before they went into terminal stages. And with my mother, it was about a year long. But for the year before that, They became rabid Stephen King fans. Hmm.
0: Interesting.
1: And I've noticed this a couple of times. And I thought, I I just remember my mom reading a novel. She didn't read novels in the first place. And why these hardcore horror uh, novels? And um, I've seen this a couple of times. And I I don't know if there's a morbid Hmm. sense of, I I don't know, because I don't think she knew she was head that that this time next year she was going to be in a terminal uh, state.
0: Hmm. Interesting, yeah. It's just you, you were talking about how much we can take, right? And, and, and right. It, it's sort of like you've got this meter that gets full, and you either burn out or break down or do whatever. Right. Um, but you know, there, there are people who are adrenaline junkies, and there are people who get nervous crossing the street. And I just wonder. Um, you know, sometimes you spot that in very in people very young in their lives right. uh, and then they grow up to be a different way but I wonder if, if people past say 40 who have done a significant amount of living and are carrying around a bunch of shit uh, I wonder if that starts to affect you, you know you sort of become more sensitive because you're sort of filled up on this stuff and it's like hey, I'm not going to watch you know CSI New York because I don't want to Watch somebody get murdered and and see see how far they can push the envelope and gross me out and get me nervous about my kids being safe and you know these-
1: I think I I think there's a limit I, I I think you know we could probably spend some time looking at this but you're onto something but the the reason that Law and Order reruns are some of the most popular reruns on TV is because of a female audience. Hmm. And I've read that in, in several places uh, they've they've tracked that women obsessively watch Law and Order, and and it's not because of the relationships, because Law and Order is famous for for changing the crew often, every couple of years. Right. And, and what what happened was the actors would say, "Well, I'm the reason this is successful. I need more money," and they say, "No, you don't. Next." And they bring yeah. in another crew, and yeah. and that was the whole. The reason why Law and Order went yeah, on, Ice T was to prove a point. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. It, we can take anybody an elaborate punchline. I'll put Ice tea in this show; yeah. it'll still succeed.
1: Yeah, and uh, but but the other side of that is the Hollywood tendency to do zombie and slasher movies. I I've never I've seen five minutes of one of those um, uh, Saw movies right. mm-hmm. and I don't need to see any more it's just they went too far for me but I'm a horror movie fan but I find myself increasingly going back to the original horror movies. I defy anybody to watch the original Dracula uh, or Bride of Dracula especially and not be creeped out and this was a thing with no no music har- hardly any music at all. It's all atmospheric black and white Um, what was the guy's name? Todd uh, I can't think of his name Um, You know, all about the the director understanding the morbid dreamlike quality of true horror, bringing it back to the nightmare you actually have, rather than that bludgeoning you over the head of cutting somebody's head off Mm -hmm. and the blood gushing. I mean, it's just what's the point? It's fake. I mean, it's just and and it's also it's like, you know, it's like that's not horror. That's that's uh, um, they had that in France. It was called Grand Guinal Theater. Mm -hmm. Did you know about this? No. You know where the term bucket of blood comes from? No. Um, the term buckets of blood comes from the in this uh, back during the reign of terror and stuff uh, in the uh, uh, 16th, 17th century France, especially the Grand Guignol Theater, I think, translates to. Great. grotesque grotesquerie or something, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not sure, Some, somebody will probably correct me on this hopefully, but what it meant was you would go and you'd buy a ticket and you'd sit in the theater and then they would just do mock executions um, crucifixions and torture scenes no plot at all, like they what, just what? haul somebody out with drums doing wow. and do this mock thing of the guillotine coming down and the buckets of blood were literally the fake blood they would throw onto the stage and sometimes splash the audience with wow so it was the original slasher flicks where you know hundreds of years ago that they were doing that. I think the Romans actually did something along that line too. Yeah, Granguinol, uh G R A N D G U I G N O L. And and it's worth looking up because it's what people needed and it was like that release valve type of thing. The you know th- these weren't aristocrats going in there. These were working class people going in these theaters to see other people have worse lives than, than they were having in a big way. Of course it was also very real. The, the chances of you being executed during the reign of terror, for example, mm-hmm. uh, in the late uh, 1700s was very, very real. Yeah. And you didn't necessarily even have to do anything wrong. So it was, this, it was almost this Cold War sense of we don't know where the terror is coming from, but it's around us all the time. So Boy, we, we went off on, well, the, on I, a tangent there. I think sorry. I think that's what
0: these shows are supposed to do, John. Yeah, that's true. I think, I, yeah. So, but you know, in that, I guess that's the flip side and in, in, in why reality TV is so popular. It's the whole, well, my life isn't that bad aspect, right? And
1: it's- well, you know, yeah, I think I think so. But that's also, you know, at a certain point, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. The, the, the average American is safer than any other human being has been in the history of civilization. Um, you know, you could actually never lock your front door and let your kids play in the park and probably nothing bad will happen. V- very high probability that bad things are not going to happen. Right. However, we live in a heightened state of fear about these things because of the media and the media makes money off this. And And part of us as humans like it. We like to live in fear. We like to think that our lives are not some safe, hmm. little soft You know, uh, thing going on that there's danger out there and stuff, and there is real danger. But the, but you know, we we talk about dying in plane wrecks or you know dying on the road. Yeah, there's a a probability. There is a probability you're going to die. But I've been driving all my life, and I've driven recklessly. And when I was younger, I drove drunk a few times. I've never killed anybody, and I've I've been in a lot of accidents, but I survived them. And I was in accidents in cars before they were safe. We didn't have seatbelts on. The you know they were just chunks of chrome. Flying through space, you know, with you know four hundred cubic inch, uh, uh, you know thousand horsepower, they're just launching us through into each other, and, and yeah, I lost friends in wrecks and stuff. But usually, it wasn't the car wreck; it was getting run over or something. So there's, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just it, life is dangerous. There is a lot of horror. And if you pay attention to the horror, then, yeah, you're going to run around scared a lot. Right. But really, most of us lead lives of, of incredible safety in America. If you, if you live in the Ukraine, not so safe. Yeah,
0: right. Exactly.
1: I, I wonder what they're watching on reruns or what they're getting on Netflix, if they even have it. You know, if, if, if the, the, you know the, the biggest horror that happens to Americans, of course, is the breakdown of the grid. Yeah. You know, if you woke up one day and there was no Internet, there was no electricity, the water didn't run when you turned on the faucet, we'd be helpless. Oh, it's yeah, it's terrible.
0: In my neighborhood, everything's on all the water is on one pipe, essentially. Oh, yikes. So if somebody needs work done un, with no announcement, you just don't have water. And <laughs> it's... uh it's appalling. And then I think, oh, come on, really? Like, but, you know, it's everybody's situation is relative to their condition. And, uh, you, you know, I don't know. You have a certain worldview that doesn't allow you to get too pissed off about not having water for an hour that day. Um, but um, I have no fucking point for that. Well,
1: whatsoever. no, actually, actually that, that does make <laughs> sense, Ken, because somebody at some point... In the past stepped forward and said i'll take care of the water for us Ah. you know and that's where that tribal thing comes up and and you know that that's why this inchoate anger at the gummit you know the 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 government the goddamn revenuers the uh you know the government can't do anything right okay, I'll run the city council and I'll take care of getting the stop signs up and stuff. And as soon as I put the stop sign up, it's going to make one person happy and three other people mad because they didn't they didn't want the stop sign there. But, you know, it's like somebody has to say we needed the stop sign there. And it just it just gets worse from there. So everybody thinks the government is some (laughs) excuse me, some kind of foreign entity entity in their lives just there to make trouble. It's really not. Humans have a natural capacity to bitch about anything, even when it's going good, and to find blame somewhere. They have to blame somebody. So again, it all gets back to those privates in the frontline trench. They got to bitch about somebody. And yeah, they're going to shoot and kill the enemy, but they're going to bitch and moan about the guy leading them and stuff, even though it's incoherent. It's often irrational. You know, the guy is on your side. The guy's doing this. But you don't want to understand the nuances of this. You don't want to understand that somebody needs to – you know, find a you know find somebody who makes pipe, who and know where that pipe hooks up, have some kind of engineering degree right. so you understand which way water flows, how how to you know how much chlorine to put in, how to keep the water safe so you can turn on the faucet, fill up a glass and drink it, and not drop dead from some you know waterborne disease. I mean, we forget that we get and we get lazy about thinking about that, and you know it's just I've you know. My significant other, she likes to volunteer for a lot of positions. She's on the HOA board and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've gone to some meetings. And I just, you know, I, I, you know I, I couldn't handle it. I can't handle the way the meetings are slow and ponderous and you got to deal with idiots all the time. But somebody's got to step up and do it. And God bless the ones who do those are the ones who are doing a good deed and you know what they very seldom do people come up and thank them for doing the hard job of leading you know and and making the hard decisions and looking at stuff and reading the 40 page contracts yeah. with the you know with the guys and you know no you don't get thanks you get you know, bitching and moaning about, you know, you know, well, I thought you guys were supposed to take care of this, you know, and the dog pooped on my lawn the other day. What are you <laughs> going to do about it? Right. Well, we're not going to do anything about it, you idiot. Anyway, I think that's enough for the call. We, we could we could go on forever, as we always do. But I think we covered that idea of the no good deed goes unpunished being one of the favorite means of high end professionals every professional i've ever dealt with knew that saying even if they didn't know any other yeah you know if we had no other common sayings but the deeper understanding is the is the caveat which is no good deed goes unpunished dot 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 but you that doesn't mean you stop doing uh, good deeds. You do them anyway, but you do them for knowing full well, you're not going to get thanked. There's going to be trouble. And you have to learn how to, how to navigate uh, that particular landscape of being the go-to guy who's going you know, to you know, take over you know, often leadership positions or positions of authority or responsibility to be able to do it, to be the adult in the room. We always get back to the adult in the room. Yeah. Well, and, and have the best story at the bar. <laughs> yes, yes, and and the the best horror story. So, okay, that's enough. These it's way too much for these people anyway. <laughs> All right. Um,
0: well, as always, visit us at pi the number four mmcom dot com. We love your comments. Uh, always more shows coming. Just be patient. Like I said, we we wait for inspiration, and then it comes, and then we release. So, thanks again, John, and look forward to the next one.
1: Okay, Kevin, talk to you later. See you.